Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Welcome to Special Edition, a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personality shaping the stories. Thanks for joining me on Special Edition. I'm Paula Dagnan. This week, we're going to hear from William Big Billy D'Elia. He joins Odyssey Sue Henry to tell us all about the book, The Life We Choose, from his point of view. Also coming to the stage at Actors Circle in Scranton, Pygmalion Continued, The Matchmaker. It's written by a local playwright, and we'll find out what happens next in the life of Eliza Doolittle. Starting us off, we're going to hear from Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Anthony Petrosky with Troop in Hazleton. What if those lights in your rearview mirror are for you? What do you do? Well, let's hope that you listen to Rebecca Rybeck. She's with the Northeast Highway Safety Program, and she's going to start off by telling us there will be an effort as we near the end of July by law enforcement to curb aggressive driving. Part of that is speeding. So what happens if you do get pulled over? Maybe you won't. Rebecca has some advice. Rebecca, watch your speed. Take your foot off that pedal. Right. So at the end of July, local law enforcement and state police are really going to be watching for uh, speeders. Speeding fatalities have continued to increase over the past few years. And we want everybody to know that in 2020, there were almost 12,000 people killed in speeding related traffic crashes. So we know that everybody in, you know, especially in the summer, they're in a race to get to parties, get to holidays, vacation, and we want to remind everybody to follow the speed limit. So I have a list what is considered aggressive driving besides speeding. When we talk about speeding, we actually put that under the title of aggressive driving. Aggressive driving has become kind of a buzzword over the last few years for drivers who are doing aggressive things on the road. Speeding is first and foremost, which is why we are focusing on speeding at the end of July. But some of the other aggressive driving factors that people may not realize that they're doing is things like careless turning, running stoplights, running red lights, failure to respond to other traffic devices, tailgating, slowing down, sudden stopping, passing in a no passing zone, driving too fast for conditions, things like that. So we're just finding that all of these errors that drivers are making are, you know, causing 
injuries and fatalities. So we want to make sure that everybody is aware that, you know, road rage is real. Um, if you see somebody that is using these aggressive behaviors, you want to get out of their way. You don't want to challenge them. You want to stay relaxed and avoid eye contact because we always say that you could be one person one way. And when you get behind the wheel, you could be another person. So we want everyone to just be aware of their driving and uh, be aware of others on the road. Some good advice there from Rebecca Ryback, Northeast Highway Safety Program. Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Anthony Petrosky with Troop in Hazleton now walks us through what to do if the lights in your rearview mirror are for you. Trooper Anthony Petrosky is here and you know you're right. We talk a lot of times about holiday weekends and don't drink and drive and take care of what you're doing. Pay attention. So all of a sudden, I just got that chill up my spine, Trooper Petrosky, because there's flashing lights behind me. So I pull over and gosh darn it, they pull over behind me. Now what do I do? Yes. And you know what? This is something we need to talk about because a lot of times people don't get pulled over. And then when they do, they don't necessarily know what they should and shouldn't do. So I feel this is important to talk about. So first things first is you want to pull over in a safe location. And I really have to stress this. Make sure you pull completely off the road. We understand a lot of times people get startled. They get nervous. Their heart starts pumping. But you know what? Pull over so you're in a safe location and then wait in your vehicle. All right. Never, let me stop ever, you. Ever. Let me stop you right there. You yes. said safe location. We have a yes. lot of two lane roads here in Northeast Pennsylvania where there is no place where you can pull over. Then what do you do? So if you know you're being pulled over, what you do is if there's not a good location, if there's no parking lots, put your four-way blinkers on. This way, we know that you're acknowledging us and then pull over in the next parking lot or side street. That's not a problem at all. Don't just keep driving until you get home and say, well, this is the safest location. No, you as a driver know that if you get pulled over, you have to pull over in a safe location. Now, if there's a berm, if there's a shoulder, pull immediately over and make sure you're completely off of the roadway. Okay, now we've got that taken care of. So now let's get back to what you were saying as far as staying in the vehicle. Yes, never exit the vehicle. You have to understand, police officers, we may know who the vehicle is owned by by running the registration, but that doesn't mean that's who's inside the vehicle. So we truly don't know who's in there until we make contact. So while we pull you over, we might be doing some stuff in the car, might be running your plate, calling in our location. Do not exit the vehicle. Just hang tight. Also, you know we're going to ask for three documents, driver's license, registration, and insurance card. But there's a time to get it. And it's not while we are walking up to the car. Because again, like I just said, we don't always know who it is that we're pulling over. So if we're approaching the vehicle and all of a sudden we see somebody in there reaching all around, reaching in the glove box in the back, in a backpack, just hang tight. If you don't have your documents immediately ready, just hang tight. We're going to come up to your vehicle. We're going to introduce ourselves, explain why we pulled you over. And then we're going to ask for your driver's license, your registration insurance card. That is the time to reach and grab for it then then that is okay. Not while we're walking up because again, we don't know who's in there. And all of a sudden we see people reaching around and it could be bad and we could take it as this is a bad situation when really it isn't. So just wait until we tell you for that information. 
All right. So you mentioned that for very good reason. And one of the reasons I'm going to assume is because you may have a weapon in the vehicle. And what if you do? And we're going to take it from the perspective that we're allowed to carry it. It's legal. But what happens with that? Yes. So that's a good point. And now what's going to happen is we ask for your documents. You may have it in your glove box. Maybe you have a license to carry a firearm and it's in that glove box. Well, it might be a good idea to tell us. Now, legally, there's nothing saying you are required to tell police that you have a license to carry and there's a weapon in the car. So if you don't tell us, you're not breaking the law. It's not required to tell us. But what happens if you reach over to grab your, your driver's license or your registration card in the glove box and you open it and all of a sudden the gun falls out? That might not be taken in the great manner by police. We might pose that as, why are they hiding the gun? And don't you think you would know you had a gun in your glove box? Or if you reach over to grab your documents and all of a sudden we see a firearm on your hip because you're shirtlisted up and now we see it. So you're not required by law to tell us that you have a firearm, but it's not a bad idea to let us know if you do have one in the vehicle, we're not gonna take it from you. We appreciate it if you do tell us. Also, if you do tell us, don't reach for it. Don't say I have this weapon here and take it out of the holster. Just keep it where it is. You can let us know, keep your hands on the steering wheel and then we will adjust our our traffic stop from there. Are you allowed to speak to the officer, because again, you get pulled over and my first question would be, what did I do? Exactly. Yes, of course you're allowed to speak to us. And, and the reason why we, we pull people over, we introduce ourselves from the state police, we give our names, and then we always tell people why we pull them over. Because this way it eliminates questions. We don't want this to be an all day affair because we're both on the side of the road and that could eventually be dangerous. So we want to make this as quick and professional as possible. So that's why we explain if there are any questions, we'd be happy to answer them. But we always explain if we issue you a citation, we always explain, you know, here's the magistrate's information. If there's any questions, please give them a call. You have 10 days to respond to your traffic citation. We do the best we can to explain everything. We know people are going to have questions. Our names and our phone numbers are on that citation. So at a later date, if you have any questions, they're always welcome to call us and we will be happy to answer any questions that the citizens may have for us. And then along the same lines as are you allowed to ask questions, I guess you're probably not in a good position to start debating once you hear this is why we pulled you over. No, I wasn't. Right. And you know what? Asking questions and having a court side, a roadside court hearing are two different things. So, you know, if you don't believe that it's true or you don't do, you didn't do what the trooper says you did, then you just plead not guilty. And that's why we have magistrates in our communities, because then the trooper will present their side, the, the, the community member will present their side and the judge will make a decision. So, again, if you don't think everything's accurate or you want to find out more information, plead not guilty on the hearing. You don't have to pay the citation. They just, the magistrate just needs your plea within 10 days, either guilty or not guilty. And then you can gladly have a court hearing, but to have one on the side of the road is not the time or place for it. Again, you know, especially at nighttime, it could be dangerous. Cars could be veering towards us because they're staring at us while they're driving. So we really want to make it as quick and professional as possible. And then we can hash everything out at the court hearing. And is this also another good reason for the move over law? Absolutely. We want drivers to move over because, again, you could just be pulled over. And you know what? Just because you get pulled over doesn't make you a bad person. We pull people over every single day, and that's to make the road safe. But you know what? 
we want to be safe out there. We want the people that we have pulled over to be safe. So if you see an emergency response area, like a trooper has a car pulled over, please move over. Don't be so concerned about what we're doing. We're conducting our business there. Just move along, maintain eyes on the road at all times. All right. So what do you want to leave with our listeners now today, Trooper Petrosky? First of all, if don't you, get pulled over. <laughs> bad, well, you know what? That's the best advice. But if you do get pulled over, listen to the trooper. Don't be reaching for stuff until the trooper asks for your information. Stay in the vehicle. Never exit the vehicle. And again, if there's any questions, handle it later on, not on the side of the road. Thanks again to Pennsylvania State Police Trooper Anthony Petrosky with Troop N. Hazelton. Coming up next, remember Dr. Henry Iggins and his student, Eliza Doolittle? Well, their chapter continues. It's coming to the stage at Actor's Circle in Scranton. This one written by a local playwright. The musical My Fair Lady came from the play Pygmalion, written by George Bernard Shaw. Now, Pygmalion continued. The matchmaker comes from local playwright Dr. John McInerney. And we have the play's director here with your invitation at Actors Circle in Scranton. I'm Kathy Strouch. I'm directing Pygmalion, continued hyphen the matchmaker. This is a continuation of Pygmalion by George Bernard Shaw that Dr. John McInerney wrote about. He wrote this script years ago, and I got to give him credit. I am enjoying directing this show. The lines he put in it, I'm like, John, you wrote this? <laughs> he has some good, good things in there I won't give away. At any rate, I graduated from the University of Scranton, and he was one of my professors back then, English professor. So now, years, years later, after he retired from the U, he got on our board. And so we've been working on it, and he has this. And it's nice to do a show that we don't have to pay a horde of royalties for. You can see these shows that were on Broadway, and we're paying $130 per evening show. So it adds up fast. So this is our fundraiser show to, you know, as far as Actor Circle is concerned. But the show itself, uh, Pygmalion, I directed Pygmalion back in 2019. And all my actors that were in that, their characters are in this one, Pygmalion Continued. These are the leads I'm talking about. I went to them and said, how would you like to be in this as well? So they said, yes. So I'm using the same cast and it is a real continuation. And it's like they put on an, their old coat and it fits like it's beautiful on them. And they're doing a great job. And Sunday before the preview of the show, uh, we did costumes and everything looked great. And as director, I am just having a fun time putting this together with John. Now, you mentioned this is a fundraiser. It is a fundraiser, mainly because we're putting the show on for practically nothing. So anything that comes in through the door, we have very little expense. So we will raise funds that way. Give us the dates that it's going to be going up and how they can get tickets. Okay. We have Fridays and Saturday evenings at 7 p.m. and Sundays at 2 p.m. So it continues July 22, 23, 28, 29, and 30. And this is at Providence Playhouse, 1256 Providence Road in Scranton. You could call the theater to make your reservations. It's cash at the door. Tickets are 15 general, 12 for seniors, 10 for students. 
And if you prefer to pay with a credit card, there is an, an, an additional $2 fee attached. You go to our website and there's a link to go and, and buy tickets online to pay for it that way. So our website is actorcircle.com, A-C-T-O-R-S-C-I-R-C-L-E.com. And the phone number to make reservations is 570-342-9707. Give them the invitation, Kathy, to come on down. Come on down to see Actor Circles, Pygmalion Continued, The Matchmaker, directed by myself and written by Dr. John McInerney. Thanks, Kathy, for the invitation. And you can catch performances at Actors Circle this weekend and again next Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Next on Special Edition, Odyssey's Sue Henry sits down and talks with the man whose life is behind the new book, The Life We Chose. William Big Billy D'Elia, next on Special Edition. Now on Special Edition, William Big Billy D'Elia told his life story to Matt Burbeck. The result, the book, The Life We Chose. Billy doesn't usually talk to the media, but he sat down with Odyssey's Sue Henry, joined by his daughter, Carolyn, and we hear all about it from his point of view. William Big Billy D'Elia is here with us today. And uh, when I met him, I, I said, do you want to do the show? And he said... He had to ask his publicist, and I thought maybe it was his daughter, Carolyn, but it was actually a publicist. <laughs> he agreed to come here today to talk about uh, the book, and it's it's rare that you speak to the media, isn't it, Billy? Never. Uh, you are the subject of this new book, The Life We Chose. For a long time, you have been a witness to history in the in the front row and in many regards due to your relationship with the late Russell Buffalino. So there's a lot to say here. How did you decide being so private and, and so not apt to talk to journalists to sit with Matt for this book? How did this all transpire? Well, I was tired of people spreading rumors and lies about Russell and me. So I had my friend David Mattis reach out for Matt. He reached out for him. We went to my son's house and we did a book. So this book, the interviews that Matt did with you, were actually done in a large part in Russell Buffalino's house, right? Correct. So your, does your son live in that house? Yes. <laughs> did that comfort you at all to be in that space where he has, you had spent so much time with Russell Buffalino? Yeah, I would say yes. The early part of the book talks about you as a young man in Pittston. And it talks about the, the very opening of the book is a little bit tough. Well, first of all, they talk about where you were arrested in 2006. And then it kind of backtracks to the story of you. There's a chapter that is called Pittston. And it talks about your early life and your childhood and, and how Russell Buffalino was uh, a father figure to you because in in your life, your father was a little rough with you, wasn't he? Yes, I would say so. Yeah, I don't know if we want to get into the story about your puppy because no. I don't want to make you sad at this point. But here you are, a young man in Pittston. Talk about the first time that you saw Russell Buffalino and shook his hand. It was at my sister's wedding. And he, he was there. 
and I was introduced to him. But I knew who he was because I used to watch the, tri the trials on, in the pool room. He would walk through the pool room every now and then and shake hands with everybody. Yeah, so he came through the—that was one of the things he was involved in, is some of these, like, pool hall activities. And 90% of Pittsburgh was involved in the pool halls. <laughs> they were also involved in—and <clears throat> I think you were, too— in uh, bookmaking and 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 things like that, right? A little bit in that order. <laughs> a little bit. Not, you know. Yeah, so you were involved in that uh, as well. Uh, when you had that first impression about Russell Buffalino, what did you think about him? I thought he was a great guy. Just from the moment you met him? Yep. Until the day I die, he'll always be the favorite one in my life. Really? Yes. And why do you feel that way? Because he was a great person. He treated me great. He was a great person. He did a lot of good for a lot of people around here. So he was something to look up to. Somebody to look up to. As your, your youth transpires, you think about and you actually go to become educated as an accountant, right? Yeah. Because you, you got some kind of accounting degree, didn't you? Yeah, business degree. What made you decide not to do that and instead to become... Um, somebody who worked for Russell Buffalino. Well, I went into service. When I came out, I was working at Arrow Distributors, which I ended up owning or running. And then I was with Russell. I just met him. I used to meet him at Medicos. He used to give me right here, kid, give me right there. <laughs> and I looked up to him. And, and that became a big part of your, your life and your world. As You were at uh, a business that, the Arrow, they did, uh, was it appliances? Yeah. yeah. Appliance distributor. Okay, so they're an appliance distributor, and you're also, you know, with the medicos and so on and so forth. And you decide that you want to become part of, of his inner circle. And I would imagine that that was something that you didn't really talk about with too many different people. I was mostly part of his family, his real family, like his wife and my kids. That was the first impression. That's how I was in the beginning. And what, what happened was that because Russell and his wife, they had no children, Billy, you started to become his child. His child. As, as a young person, we always look to figures and, and, you know, some of us have parents who are, you know, very near and dear to us. And I understand your mom was really a great lady and mm -hmm. very saint-like and, and, and so on. But, you know, we look up to people. When did you really start to feel like you were Russell Buffalino's son? The more I remember him, the more he introduced me as his son. <laughs> he did? Yes. Quite often? Yes. Now, did you take that very seriously? Did it work both ways? Yes. Uh, I know that you know we when someone yes. says, "I want to be your parent," we expect something from them. Um, going the other way, as Russell Buffalino's son, uh, what what was your expectation, or what did you think you had to do in your mind for him? Whatever he wanted. Yeah, and you did. I was very close to him, and I was very close to David Siegel. I ate at David Siegel's house every day, lunch and dinner. And Russell was very close with Dave. So I became very close with Russell. So as time transpires, uh, this becomes your actual world, right? Right. You, from reading the book, would go anywhere at the drop of a hat for Russell. Absolutely. 
How did that play in your mind? I mean, did you ever think that you had that kind of duty to your own parents? Yeah, I just loved them. You loved them. Why did you love them so much? Because he was a great person. He was one of the smartest people I ever met. He was intelligent. He was kind. He was simple. He was tough. He was the whole thing I rolled into one. In fact, even on uh, some of the, your family holidays, there I made the phone call on Thanksgiving dinner. Yep. That uh, there'd be come here now and talk about some of the places you would go. They weren't close. Some of them you'd go to like Florida or Buffalo or whatever. Florida, Buffalo, California, Kansas, Miami. <laughs> and what what did your your wife think about that? <laughs> I guess she thought it was all right. Did she? She thought it was all right? Yeah, she thought it was fine. Yeah. Mommy loved Papa Russell. She loved Russell more than I did, and he loved her more yeah. than he loved me. Yeah, uh, Carolyn's here, too. Uh Billy's daughter, and uh, she's she's featured in the in the book at at certain places because uh, Russell Buffalino was her babysitter, right? You saw... Russell through the window when you had, a, I think you had to go to a wake or something like that. Yeah, rocking horse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you were watching, what were you watching in the living room? She, he bought a rocking horse at FAL Sports. And we looked in the minute she was on, the, he was on the rocking horse with her little hat. And she was on the couch twisting his diamond by the inch wrist, uh, pocket watch. So, so she's swinging the diamond pocket watch. And he's riding her horse with his hat on. And, and you're wearing your hat. And he loved Carolyn. He, yeah, because he looked at your children as his, as his grandchildren, and I think that that's really something. And they looked at him as their grandfather. Now, of course, everybody who is aware because of the book and because we live in northeastern Pennsylvania knows that Russell Buffalino, in, in case you're just tuning in and you don't know this, was a very powerful figure in the history of the American mafia. Well, he was powerful. Oh, okay. He was just powerful. <laughs> but powerful. he may have had associations which are detailed in this book with other powerful figures. Allegedly. Allegedly, supposedly. I'll make all the inferences. All right. <laughs> to keep this interview on, on track. He had relationships with many powerful figures who were involved in a laundry list of activities that may be associated with La Mafia. Allegedly. Allegedly. And through these associations, you had associations. Could you say for sure that that happened to you? Allegedly. Allegedly. Oh, Matt told me it would be like this. And I said, okay, I'm ready for the challenge. Uh, you went to a lot of different places and witnessed a lot of American history as uh, as somebody who was an associate of Russell Buffalino. True? True. 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 And uh, some of these these things are, are detailed in the book. Some of them, the incident with the, the Bay of Pigs, for example. Did you have firsthand knowledge of that? That was before my time. It was before your time. Okay. I, I, okay. I knew about it. How did you know about it? Well, if you lived in Pennsylvania, you <laughs> wrote a newspaper, you knew about it. So what happened in that regard is it was the CIA, right? They were contemplating what to do during the Cuban Missile Crisis, and they came to Russell Buffalino. Okay, because I'll say all the words, because Russell Buffalino 
knew a lot about Cuba because he was involved in a casino in Cuba. Correct? Correct. Yeah. So did he ever talk about that with you? Nothing we used to talk about. I used to bust him. You used to bust him? Yeah, that's when the, they were hijacking the planes and taking them to Cuba. And when all that pressure was going on, he says, I hope they don't hide this one. We're dead if we do. <laughs> oh, no. Now, that kind of relationship, which was in the 60s, the uh, the people that associated with Russell Buffalino, for the lack of a better way to say it, were behind the election of John F. Kennedy for president. Can we say that's true? Well, allegedly, yeah. Okay. So, allegedly, it's true. And then later in the book, it's mentioned that Robert Kennedy severely grilled Russell Buffalino and his associates, right? But he didn't answer one question. He didn't answer one question. Did you ever talk to him about that? Yeah, I'm just wondering because here's, here's a, a group of individuals who go out of their way to get somebody in office as the president, and then the brother turns around and, and brings them to Washington and grills them. Correct. How does that go over with people? I don't think it went over too good. <laughs> I don't either. Oh, we're not over yet. Don't go away. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. After the end of a good fight, you deserve an ice-cold reward. Medela is the mark of a fighter. You've earned this rich golden lager with a crisp, refreshing taste. Because you know, the bigger the fight, the better the reward. You put in the hours, the energy, the tough labor. You are a fighter. Medela is your reward. Medela, the mark of a fighter. Drink responsibly. Beer imported by Crown Port, Chicago, Illinois. We'll have more with Odyssey's Sue Henry, joined today by William Big Billy D'Elia, coming up next on Special Edition. Welcome back to Special Edition, or if you're just joining us, Odyssey's Sue Henry sat down with William Big Billy D'Elia. He told his life story to Matt Burbeck. The result, the book, The Life We Chose. Billy doesn't usually talk to the media, but he sat down with Sue, joined by his daughter Carolyn, and we're hearing it from his point of view. So we were talking a little bit about the the background and how Billy came to know Russell Buffalino and become part of his inner circle and how Russell Buffalino considered 
Billy to be his son, and he considered Billy's children to be his grandchildren. Your children, their names are in honor of Russell Buffalino and his wife, right? Yep. And my sister, my grandmother. Miriam's named after Grandma. One of the siblings is named after Grandma, but the other two are named after Russell Buffalino and his wife, right? Yeah, Miriam's named after her mother's mother. And that's quite the tribute, but uh, again, he considered you to be his son. He introduced me as his son all over New York. Where you spent a lot of your time. A lot. He was still looking at my son. son. There are many parts of this book that people have questions about because there are certain narratives that have been written about Jimmy Hoffa, for example, and what really happened to Jimmy Hoffa and uh, Frank the Irishman Sheeran, who another book author says is involved in the murder of Jimmy Hoffa. Can you talk a little bit about what was going on there? Because you were with Russell Buffalino and Jimmy Hoffa in Michigan, right? Were you in Michigan I met him in Philadelphia. I met him in Florida. And he was very close to us. And he was very close to Frank Sheeran. Jimmy Hoffa. And Frank Sheeran was very close to us. And Jimmy Hoffa. Now, there became this moment where Jimmy Hoffa had been incarcerated. He got out of jail. He wanted to be the head of the Teamsters again. Richard Nixon actually got him out, right? Right. Yeah. And there was another man who was the head of the Teamsters. And Jimmy Hoffa didn't really like that. He wanted to be the head of the Teamsters again. And Russell Buffalino kind of told Jimmy Hoffa to cool it and stop it. And they, they in some meetings that happened, people were wearing like, you know, Hoffa for president buttons. And there was some friction there, right? When Hoffa went away, he put Frank Fitzsimmons in charge of the union with the stipulation he would take over when he came out. When Richard Niggs wrote the, the pardon, it was clear pardon Frank Sheard picked it up. After some people complained, Niggs wrote a different one and put excluding him to run for president for to run for president of the union. So that was that. Jimmy was a tough guy. He built a union. He was an honest guy. He might have gave loans to people, but he made sure they got paid back. Fitzsimmons wasn't that tough. But didn't Russell tell him to stop being so insistent to come back as the president of the union prior to his disappearance? None of those words. He just told Jimmy, what are you doing? Yeah. It wasn't sit down and do this. It was just a conversation. Russell loved Jimmy Hoffa, so did Frank Sheeran. So what do you think happened? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I can't see. <laughs> What, what do you think happened to Jimmy Hoffa? Do you think that uh, Frank Sharon took him out? No. Do I think Frank Sharon comes to Ball of Doers? You don't think that the, the, that whole book, the whole movie, all that, that was all nonsense to you? Nonsense. Now, later, when Russell Buffalino was incarcerated and then he got sick, he was actually with Frank Sharon, right? Correct. Did you get any kind of information about what those two talked about? No, I knew Frank Sheeran since I was about 15 years old. I knew Frank Sheeran for, I was as long as Russell. And what did you think of him? Do you think he would kill Jimmy Hoffa? No. Do you know who might have? (laughs) (laughs) Not really. Okay. If I did, I'd write a book. Yeah, well, here's a book. 
You seem to think, because there's been all kinds of speculation as to where Jimmy Hoffa's remains are, I think the language that you use on this is that your speculation is he was burned up, right? No, I think I said cooked. Cooked? Okay, you said cooked. All right, so you think... But that was my, you know, I couldn't prove it. No, and... and I didn't say I could prove it. Do you think that it's unusual that no one can prove it? I mean, we've had investigation after investigation into the death of Jimmy Hoffa. Do you think it's unusual that uh, nobody could get to the bottom of this? No. Okay. Uh, William Big Billy Delia, I have to ask you about Michael Jackson. And I have to ask you about The Godfather. These are mandatory questions that people who live here want to know about. And you have your own thoughts about Michael Jackson that a lot of people don't share. We are uh, having a conversation with William Big Billy D'Elia and the book The Life We Chose has been written about him by Matt Birkbeck. Now, as uh, time moves on, Billy, you become more involved with managing the affairs of, of Russell Buffalino, right? Correct. And he he has a, a level of trust in you that's very, very high. Oh, let's talk about the, the move to deport him. Russell Buffalino was born in Italy, right? He was born in Pittston. Well, you say, but didn't, no, isn't his, that... his mother and father came from Italy okay. to here. She was pregnant. She had Russell. The father got fighting with somebody. He got back into Baltimore and he went back to Italy. And about six, seven months later, he was in a mining accident. So the mother and father came back and lived with his cousin and his uncle in Wyoming. But was there some sort of speculation that he was really born in Italy well, as he, a, as an attempt to, at one point in his life, deport him to Italy? They tried to deport him. They ordered him deported. But he fought that for like 30, 40 years. I was with him at immigration when Brendan was the head of immigration in Philadelphia. He had to report every week. And he told him, Russ, I got to like you. If you know you, you like you. Why don't you sign a thing in Detroit, Pace? You'll never do a day in jail, and I'll take care of you. He says, I was born in America, and I'll die in America. And there is one picture of me and him walking down the street. That was the deportation. He said, they told me to get here at 830, it's 8 o'clock, where are they? And I was carrying a suitcase, a suitcase, 40 pounds of toilet paper, because the toilet paper was tough in Italy. And he told me, kid, get ready, because a couple of weeks from the family's going to move out here with me. What would you, you're, so Russell told you if he did get deported, you would be over in Italy with your wife and family. and your family. And your wife was actually okay with this, right? She loved Russell. Yes. But she said it would be pretty or something like that, that she she would go. So you brought the 40 pounds of toilet paper, and then it never happened, right? Well, when we got there, they put him in the hole. I'm always in the hole. He promised something to some kid we had to send. But at quarter to four, they came in with shackles to take him out, and they were going to get him lost in the system. But at 10 minutes to four, they came out and they says, we just got a letter from, we just got in touch with, or really got in touch with us. They said he's not born in their country, so therefore he's a man without a country, let him go. <laughs> so Italy said no, basically. Yeah. And that really kept him in the United States. Yep. Uh, eventually he does go to prison. Yeah. And he was out in, in Kansas, Kansas for the first, long First he was in Danbury, then he was in Kansas at Leavenworth, and in the last few years, he went to Lexington, Kentucky. So when he was in the, the prison in Kansas, that's when you would go, you went. Twice a week. Twice a week to Kansas. No, to Danbury. 
Okay, Kansas, how? I would go like every month. And your wife was okay with that too? Yeah. She's a great lady. I used to take his wife over too. She's the best lady. Yes. Yeah, and you took Russell's wife occasionally out there? Every time I went Okay. There. And while he was there, he was doing things for the inmates, right? And for the community. Absolutely. Can you tell a little story about something that he did that maybe isn't in the book? Sister Peg, he brought her car. And then there was who, whose husband, whose son died, and they needed three thousand for a funeral. Send it. I mean, every day I was sending something. Every day was. And he says, "Hold, take it back." I had a box of slips this big. to still where I put them. Of, of things that you had to to do just and get send done. To people, yeah. yeah, just to send to people. This lady got a job. She needs some clothes. This guy needs this. The one kid needs a car, so I got him a car. And the one kid needs a motor for his truck, I got him. Every day he had a different job, and nothing was for him or for somebody else. Let's talk about you, you have this more prominent role in, in running his affairs. But then you also have a role in the career of Michael Jackson. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Talk about how this transpires. It, it has to do with uh, alleged associates who tried to try to muscle him, right? Muscle his manager was Tookie Delia and Michael. So I they made an appointment to come to New York. And when they did, I was sitting there reading the paper. And the guy says, my name is so-and-so. He says, when I met you with so-and-so, he says, oh, no, Billy, please. We didn't know it was you. We didn't know it was Russell. Please don't tell Russell. That's not that problem. But then when Michael got arrested for molesting the dentist's son, Michael Jackson, I would swear on a stack of Bibles, was not a pedophile. He was a young entertainer that grew up, became very famous, had a mean father that used to take him off stage and put him where he had to put him. When he became old enough, he went on his own. I was at Never Never Lands with him. I was at Shaw's Room in Pittsburgh. I was in New York with him when that incident happened. He lived with Tookie Delia's kids. So if he was a pedophile, I don't think Tookie would put him on the street kids. And when that happened, I called the people in Neverland or probably in Los Angeles. And I said, if he didn't do it, go public first. But they thought they were smarter. So they did go public. The lawyer that sued him went public. And that was the end of the deal. You believe in your heart that Michael Jackson was not a pedophile. I would put Carolyn with her. I would put Russ. I put my kids with him when they were small. Absolutely not. Talking to Billy DeLeo, who served as Michael Jackson's manager for, what, about a year, Billy? Was that right? No, a few more than that. More than that? You would have gotten reinvolved with the tour that he would have done had he not died. Absolutely. The favorite topic of many people who live here is the movie The Godfather. True story? True story. Do people always want to talk to you about that? I don't talk to them. <laughs> Not even Carolyn? Do you tell her about okay, it? I tell Carolyn. Yeah, that's about it. This motion picture, The Godfather, it's it's from a book by Mario Puzo, and they uh, decided that they'd like to do this film in New York City in Little Italy. There was some, can we say, strong opposition to this by groups in New York. Yes. Well, what kind of groups were they? Well, I was a member of this Italian-American Civil Rights League. Actually, I was the secretary treasurer of it, and they wanted to take the name Mafia out of it, gangsters, all that, all the, all the mafia stuff out of it, and they did. But there was other problems there that we straightened out. Yeah, there was some problem with the, was it the Teamsters? Yes. So what was their problem? <laughs> they didn't like the movie. They didn't like what they're saying. Why not? Well, they painted a bad picture about the Italians. When this transpired, though, and Russell Buffalino got, he got involved. 
Do you know how he got involved in this? Probably if he, he was involved in what happens. It was him and a few of his friends, very close friends from New York. On the opposition side for the movie, did, did people come to him and say, Russell, we really don't want this? Yeah. And then there were people that came to him and said, we really want this movie, right? Right. It was very instrumental. So he got to be sort of the go-between here to solve some of these problems to get The Godfather made. Is that correct? Correct. So you're in, in you town. You possibly do right away. Miracles take a long, take a miracle. I love that saying, by the way, it's in the book. You take a phone call one day when you're here, right, from a guy who says he's Marlon Brando? And I said, Russ, some beep is on the phone pretending he's Marlon Brando. Give me that phone. <laughs> and it was Marlon Brando. So Marlon Brando met with Russell, right, to talk about to talk about the demeanor of playing the Godfather, right? Were you there for those conversations? Sometimes. What was it like to be there and and to witness uh, this instruction from Russell Buffalino to Marlon Brando? I didn't care about Marlon Brando. I was more impressed with Russell. In that way, what impressed you about what he told Brando? He told him the truth. Told him how to behave. He put people in the movie, told him how to behave. Was Russell Buffalino's family in the movie? No. Was your family in the movie? No. So nobody's family was in the movie? Okay, because somebody said that they thought that was the case. You saw the movie, right? You saw it? Yes, Russell never looked at it. Right, so Russell Buffalino never saw The Godfather. And they have to do a private showing and you won't go. What did you think about that decision? I thought it was cool. And what impressed you when you saw the movie? When you were watching Marlon Brando and The Godfather, did you see Russell Buffalino on the screen? Yeah, they particularly, they were, yeah. They actually marked them, I would say. We are talking to William Big Billy D'Elia, the subject of the book, The Life We Chose Day. And it's, uh, you said five on the chart? Or 15, 15 on Barnes and, Noble. Barnes and Noble's national chart. How do yes. you feel about that, Billy? Everybody wants to know your story. Just the truth. The truth will set you free. Before we get into the, the last segment, when you said you wanted to set everybody straight and talk about the truth, what are what do you think the biggest misconception is about you? Well, certain people try to say I was informing when I was in prison, which is like signing the contract to kill you. It was not true. I knew it wasn't true. They knew it wasn't true. The government knew it wasn't true. So, and luckily for me, I was who I was because people in there knew me laughed. This is Billy. It's not true. If we were ever true, we all be in jail for a longer time. There'd be 20 other people sitting here with us. You eventually did get arrested by federal officials. Absolutely. It was a long time, though, that you didn't. And were you surprised by that? Because in this book, there are federal officials trailing you and Russell Buffalino constantly. Correct. Were you surprised? Did you feel it coming when they finally arrested you? Not really. The first search warrant dated back to 1886. 1886? Yeah. Why? They wanted to say certain people wanted me arrested. They wanted me and Sammy Mark out of the way. So they somehow, through the U.S. attorney, they got a house raided. And then they fought. Poor Sammy went to jail for having his kids gun in the house. They went through my cellar three times, to my office three times. Then that blew up in their face. Then when Louis de Naples, who was probably one of the smartest business people you'll ever meet and one of the most generous, when he lied about knowing us and he lied to the state police that he was going to give them the contract, they remembered, hey, we got all that information in Billy Seller. Contracts with Louis, news pamphlets made for Louis, Carolyn's wedding list, Carolyn's 
the wedding tables. So how would I purge myself say I don't know? He said that about David Steak and Russell, which was a lie. But if I said it, I'd be purging myself. But I can say I never saw him do anything illegal, but he did purge himself. And that's how he got into trouble. Yeah, that's yeah. That's how we got into yeah. trouble. Your prison time. Did anything happen to you because of who you were in prison or did were you okay there? I was better than okay. You were better than okay. When they arrested me, I pulled in front of the house. There was FBI, Internal Revenue Criminal Division, Pennsylvania State Police Criminal Division, IRS, Secret Service, Homeland Security. And I was born in Pittston. And when I pulled in front of the house, I was getting out of the car. And who comes out of the house but my daughter, Miriam, who is a lawyer. And she said, don't worry, Dad, I'm doing this now, right now. Mention all three of your children right now before the show ends or we can never talk again, right? Because we'll all be in big trouble. Your children. Karen is a sweetheart. (laughs) She takes care of poor kids. Not poor kids, she takes care of... She takes care of of, of children Children. in in an academic setting. Yes. (laughs) Okay. Miriam's a lawyer. Mm Mm-hmm. Russell's a business executive for Guy Singer. So I did a pretty good job raising them. Well, their mother did okay, too, right? You also have a grandson. And I have a, my favorite person in the whole world is my Michael, my grandson. Do we mention everybody? Except my wife. Oh, maybe you your, might. Well, yeah. Maybe your wife. Yeah, maybe your Keeps wife, Keeps us too. all together. Yeah. You met your wife when you were in, in high school. Twelve, right? 12 years old. Twelve. St. Rocco's Dance. She must be an amazing woman, Billy, because to be in a, me? To put up with me? Well, you yeah. is that I don't want to put words in your mouth, but yeah, to put up with you. So, how do you think the book came out? I think the book came out good. Are Very you happy good. with it? Very happy. I think Matt did a good job. Yeah, he's a he's a good guy. I heard that he he did a lot of work to warm up to you and and to get you to talk. And these things can't be easy for somebody who spent so many years not talking. <laughs> And Red's first book was all wrong, and we told him. Oh, did you? Yes. Oh, I hope he's listening and he heard that. Well, he knew that. Well, did he? And Russell let us use his house, and he gave a lot of pictures and stuff. So Maybe he should have called you earlier for the first book. He did try to get in touch yeah. with me. And so you said what? He wrote letters to him because I wasn't talking to nobody. He was going to be willing to come to Arizona. And I will say this, Jason Sabatelli, when I got out, he sent me two big porterhouse steaks cooked to where I was working. That Jason Sabatelli is okay. The Sabatellis are a great family. And if not for the Sabatellis, we wouldn't be sitting here today. That's right. How's that? We're done. Are you upset? No. <laughs> Do you want to stay long? No, we'll, we'll let you go. I think he would stay. I'd I think stay. you would. This was fun and fascinating. And I know you don't talk to the media, so for you to come in today to talk to me is is really something. So thank you, Billy, for opening up to us, allegedly. The Life We Chose, the book by Matt Burbeck, the life story, William Big Billy D'Elia, and Odyssey Sue Henry. I'm Paula Degnan. Join me again on Special Edition. Thanks for listening to Special Edition a weekly look at the issues in the news and the personalities shaping the stories. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. (laughs) 
plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile Essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Baseball is in full swing. NBA playoffs are heating up. And your NFL team is gearing up for training camp. Listen to the latest on the teams you love here on the Odyssey app. The biggest sports radio stations in the country providing unrivaled local coverage of their teams all in one place. Exclusive interviews with players, coaches, and team executives streaming live and always available on demand. Stay in the know with your favorite teams right here on the Odyssey app. 